This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. You give birth to your baby and your stomach is nice and round and there's a bait firm, right? And then the baby comes out and it's squishy and your insides are in different places. There's a lot of different things happening. You know, I've never been more comfortable in a bikini than when I was pregnant. I was like, this belly is supposed to be here. (laughs) Exactly, right? Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast from Parents Magazine called That New Mom Life. I'm Grace Bastidas, Editor-in-Chief of Parents Latina and a mom to two little girls. And I'm Desiree Fortin, blogger and the perfect mom on Instagram. I'm a mom of triplets, two boys and a girl, and a brand new baby girl, Cambria Rose. And we're here to hold your hands through the next 12 episodes as we explore all the elements of that new mom life. This week, we're going to talk about the first 24 hours of motherhood, that post-birth haze when you're not quite sure what has happened and your mind and body are playing catch-up. You're going to hear from Latham Thomas, an incredible doula who helps women navigate those emotional and physical ups and downs after they have given birth. Her role is to mother the mother. And she shares some great advice about everything to expect from your brain and your body in that first 24 hours, as well as what to do if you don't feel that instant bond with a tiny human in your arms. When it comes to someone sort of, I'm not digging this person just yet, you know, they're cute and everything, but I'm not feeling them yet. It's okay. It's not a failure. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your baby. There's nothing wrong with the process. But first, let's hear some real life birth stories from moms just like you and me. This was my uh, second child, Kennedy. The night before she, Kennedy was born, my mucus plug fell out, but my water didn't break, contractions didn't start. The next day, I didn't really have contractions. I'm anxious about it, so to distract me, my mom was going to take me and my daughter out to lunch. My mom's a labor and delivery nurse, and so she is, you know, throughout the conversation, realizing that we'll take a pause in the conversation every five minutes, and then that pause switches to every three minutes. So she says, you know, where is your husband? He needs to come home. We need to go to the hospital. He comes home and of course there's construction. So it takes him about 45 minutes to get home. My mom is in the front seat. He's driving and I'm in the back seat laboring. My water breaks on the highway. So my mom's talking to somebody at the hospital saying, oh my God, we're not going to make it. The hospital thinks that we're going to come to the emergency room, but we pull up at the roundabout courtyard entrance and this hospital has these, you know, floor to ceiling windows, this beautiful courtyard. It's this beautiful August afternoon. People are out. My husband at the time was running around looking for doctors, the nurses, the wheelchair, something. Nobody's there. So my mom, when you open the door, she catches the baby, you know, in front of the entire hospital. One minute you're a young mom planning your birthing bag and what you're going to wear, who's going to be there and how it's going to go. And the next minute you're half naked hanging out of a Volvo in front of all of downtown Minneapolis. They delivered a 10 pound, 11.5 ounce, very healthy baby boy, which we named Adrian. 
He was the largest baby born in the hospital on that day. He was also the largest baby that my doctor had ever delivered. So she was really proud. And then the nurses and the doctors kept on coming by my room to see the largest baby. I want to see the largest baby. And they would come in, congratulate us, obviously, on the delivery of our baby. But they were just overwhelmed by how large he was and how he looked like a sumo wrestler. His face was huge. He had rolls everywhere, his arms, his legs, his tummy. I mean, it was just rolls on top of rolls on top of rolls. I had my baby and experienced all this euphoria and gave her back to the nurses. It was time to deliver the placenta. As that was happening, I had this horrible, excruciating pain. Something was happening because the expression on my doctor's face changed. A bunch of nurses rushed into the room. I remember they were talking about me uh, and I really didn't understand what was happening. And then I had the most bombastic pain ever in my existence. And I could see in a split second at an angle, my doctor's hand and arm disappearing inside me all the way up to her elbow. And I felt like a cartoon character where the eyes boing out. I screamed. I could not help myself. It hurt so bad. And more than that, I was confused. Here I was. I had just had my baby. I was crying of joy and just happiness and elation. And then in the next second, I was in the worst pain of my life. And I just remember being so shocked. Turns out I had a rare complication called a uterine inversion. It happens when a piece of the placenta is still stuck to the wall of the uterus. And so when the placenta is coming out, the uterus can come with it. And so mine came out from my body and my doctor had to forcefully and very quickly put it back into place. And she had to run her hand through the uterus to be sure there were no pieces of placenta still left behind that could cause me to have an infection. And she had to act quickly because I could have bled to death. Later, I found out she had never had this experience with any other patient. And she had been delivering babies for like 30 years. And I'm so glad she knew what to do. And she saved me that day. And clearly, the experience did not deter me because now I'm a mom of three. I had been in labor since 4 a.m. and was absolutely exhausted. The contractions were growing stronger, so my doctor checked me and saw that I was 9 centimeters dilated. But she told me it's time. Now, I seesawed between letting my mother, mother mother-in-law, and younger sister-in-law in the delivery room. My mom, it was her first time being an abuela, first time grandma, so she was a ball of nerves, which didn't help me. But just before pushing, I told the doctor to let them in only if they stayed in a corner of the delivery room. So as I started pushing, my Dominican mother, my Colombian mother-in-law, and younger sister-in-law stood in a corner of the room, held hands, and prayed. My mom was like, Dios mío, que amari salga de esto y que todo salga bien. Praying to God for me to come out of this and that everything turns out fine. She told me this later. All I remember is seeing them huddled out of the corner of my eye. I heard their whispers as my doctor encouraged me to push. So much happened that day, including my blood pressure dropping after the epidural, which was a really scary moment. But thankfully, my little Camilo came out healthy and screaming. (laughs) He even peed on me when he came out. It makes me emotional to think about this prayer circle. The three of them sent love to me during one of the most uncertain moments of my life. And I'll never forget it. (laughs) 
Now it's time to hear from doula and wellness expert, Latham Thomas. After giving birth to her son, Fulano, Latham set out on a mission to empower women to make self-care an integral part of their pre- and postnatal journeys. In her nearly 20-year career, she's trained scores of doulas, worked with celebrity clients, and written a number of books, including her latest, Own Your Glow. Hi, Latham. Welcome to That New Mom Life. You're our first guest. Thank you so much for coming on. Since we're talking about the first 24 hours of motherhood, what does a postpartum doula do? Yeah. I mean, first, thanks so much for having me and for uh, having a conversation like this because uh, so much of the focus on the childbearing continuum really centers around pregnancy. And a lot of what we learn is is about the experience of pregnancy, how to prepare, right? Getting ready for your birth. And then sort of the cliff ends there, right? It's like no one talks about what happens afterwards. <laughs> then you're on your own. <laughs> you're on your own, right? The baby gets here. You have to figure it all out for yourself. And a lot of sort of the wisdom keeping that we have doesn't um, get imparted to people um, for postpartum. And so a lot of people talk about this sort of uh, feeling of being let down and that they weren't supported or they didn't have the information they needed because people didn't share. And so what a postpartum doula can help do and, and really what the role entails is you know, supporting that birthing person along the entire continuum in the postpartum period. There's so much that happens, but initially in that first 24 hours, there's a lot of cramping and discomfort and changes that you're just really not prepared for unless someone's talking about it with you, right? And so this is really the role is, is to prepare someone for what that first 24 hours will look like, and then be there to hold their hand and to be a constant presence of support for at least six weeks postpartum. So it is about emotional support. It is about physical support. It is really helping them to orient around all of the changes they'll experience postpartum. It is helping them navigate the family dynamic and what it means to be a new family what it means to be a single parent, whatever that looks like for you uh, on on that uh, postpartum side. And really it's about like mothering the mother, like, like really supporting them because everybody's here to support the baby, by the way. Like there's not a shortage of people who want to do things for the baby, but nobody's thinking about you. So it's one dedicated person that's really, really concerned about you. I love that. Everyone's there for the baby, but you need someone to be there for you, to guide you and um, and to tell you it's normal to experience all the things that come in that first 24 hours. That's right. And then comes all the physical changes um, with your uterus contracting to your breasts becoming engorged. Can you share some of the symptoms that can be worrisome? Yeah. So, you know, in the postpartum period, there's so many things that um, we should be looking out for as normal. And then also there's some things that we um, should note as things to worry or maybe call the physician about. So it's normal to have constant fluid leaving your body. So in the postpartum period, people think oh, the baby comes and, um, and that's kind of it. The baby comes and you're wearing like a heavy duty pad for six weeks. You're constantly leaking. So there's blood that's coming. What you're going to look for is clots. 
So if you feel yourself pass uh, a, a sizable clot, that's something that you want to go to the doctor for. If you have blood loss that tapers off and then bright red blood picks back up, you know, that that's a sign that you're moving around too much, that you're not doing enough resting. Um, that is also something that you want to make your physician aware of. Um, fever, chills, if you have an incision from uh, episiotomy, if you had an incision from a surgical procedure like a C-section, for instance, you know, you're generally speaking, you have stitches that will dissolve. But if your if your incision site um, becomes really red, tender and hot to the touch, smells really weird, anything like that, any anything that smells is a sign of infection, generally speaking, as well. So um, you'd want to bring that to the attention um, of your doctor as well. Right now, I would really suggest for everyone to uh, sign up um, in in if you can, with the telehealth platform. Most hospitals are offering some sort of telehealth for their patients, but make sure that you sign up to have like this access to be able to talk to somebody because you think something's wrong. There's a lot of physical changes and a lot of them are perfectly normal. And it's just what happens with birth, which is a transformation. You also go through a lot of hormonal changes and your emotions are all out of whack. What are some of those emotions that are typical and how do we start to process them? Yeah. Some of the, the interesting things I would say that, um, that happen in that postpartum period, really, we start to feel this sort of cascade of hormones, um, on the decline around, um, day two, really day three, I would say where all the maternal hormones drop drastically. So you start to feel, a little bit of like melancholy or blues, you know, we identify like most people have what's called the baby blues, um, which is not a depression, but sort of like a, a tenderness, I would say, right? So if you're in a situation where there's like a funny commercial, you might laugh, but then if there's something like sad, you might cry very easily. So it's just a tender position to be in. Um, but it can be exacerbated by emotional upset or disruption, um, stress, right? And stress that could come in many, many forms. Um, and so what we look for in, in that first couple of weeks really is to make sure that people feel supported because when symptoms of depression or anxiety aren't addressed, then those can um, become exacerbated and turn into um, what we recognize as PMADs, um, perinatal mood disorders, um, and postpartum depression is one of those mood disorders. All right. So as you mentioned, there's so many different hormonal, emotional changes that come with having a baby. And there's also this expectation that we should bond immediately with our baby. And sometimes that doesn't always happen. Can How can you assure parents that that's okay? And what advice would you have for someone who's experiencing that? It's completely normal to have a spectrum of feelings around the postpartum experience. So feeling support, feeling bonded, feeling connected instantaneously is one person's experience. Feeling like who is this stranger that's in my arms is another experience. It's also valid. And so I think what's most important is to elucidate that there is a validation in everyone's experience and that everyone's experience is real. And that more often than not, if you're feeling alone in something, you're not the only person that's having that experience. And I think that's so important for people to hear because we always think that we're the only one. It's not a failure. There's nothing wrong with you. 
there's nothing wrong with your baby. There's nothing wrong with the process. Everything takes time and everyone has their own unique arc and their own unique journey in parenthood. And so I think it's important to give yourself time and space to adapt and also to figure out what you need to feel supported to make space for that experience. I think if we can take some of the uh, expectation that you're supposed to be acting a certain way or relating a certain way or handling your baby a certain way off the table and understand that there are cultural nuances, there are differences in how people are raised and also how people relate to new experiences um, is really important. And when someone indicates like, hey, I don't feel safe with a baby or I don't feel like I can do this, and we start to hear language like that, then we know that there's emotional um, and mental supports that we need in place to make sure that, that person, you know, gets the help that they need. But when it comes to someone sort of, I'm not digging this person just yet, you know, they're cute and everything, but I'm not feeling them yet. It's okay. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. So you talk a lot about glow time or embracing self-care being really important in these first few weeks. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what that looks like? Generally in the first 10 days, um, I really try to have, um, whether it's a couple or, you know, mom, whoever it is, to take um, some time alone that does not include the baby. Um, If it's a couple, I usually like them to do like a little tiny date, not really anywhere far. Sometimes it's just in the living room, you know what I mean? And the baby's not there, Um, you know, to, to just allocate some time. And it can be daily. It could be for five or 10 minutes in a day. But whatever it is that it's just for you, and it's not just stuff that you do, it's also what you don't do, right? Self-care is not like this, you know, it's not bubble bathing away your problems. It's actually thinking about on a moment to moment basis, checking in with yourself and asking, what do I need? Self, what do I need, right? To feel good right now? What do I need to feel supported right now? What do I need to give myself? How do I mother myself, right? Because we're really good at taking care of everybody else. And then when it comes to us, we're like, really good at keeping things away and depleting or, you know, um, what is it called? Kind of like, yeah, like punishing ourselves, you know, like, oh, I didn't do this. So I'm not going to give myself this. Why does everything have to be like, you know, like a special occasion for us to do something nice for ourselves? You are the special occasion. Today is a good enough day for you to do something nice for yourself. And it doesn't have to be all the bells and whistles. It can be just like, I want a cup of tea and sit and like, watch the gossip column, or I want to, you know, read a book, or I want to go and call my friend and sit in the bathtub and watch Bridgerton, you know, like whatever it is. But how do we remove any guilt around that? You know, in some cultures, mothers are taught to be self-sacrificing. So how do we get into that mindset where we know it's okay to ask yourself, what do I need? Guilt is a really strong feeling that sort of 
is embedded in in all of us in some capacity. So we have to start to think about, you know, also how to change the legacy of what we've inherited in in terms of our upbringing and and make and design a new life and and a new way of being and parenting that models for our children because our children are going to look to us and see like mommy takes baths or mommy you know does does these things that mommy loves to do mommy never stopped doing that thing that mommy loved and that also gives me as a child permission to pursue the things that I love and and to make time for myself or to know when I need personal time and so we're also teaching our kids as we do this and so I think about it like not just for myself but also for the family and also what I'm teaching the family through my actions. Yes, I think that's so great. I um, I feel like it requires a lot of intention on our part as moms. Is there any value in documenting our birth stories, um, even if they don't go as planned? And how can that help a new mother? I love this question. And I love the idea. We get power from telling our stories. So regardless of the outcome, regardless of what occurred, regardless of whether it was aligned with your vision or not, is your unique experience. And it speaks to who you are and who you've become from being imprinted by that process. And so there is value in your storytelling. And so I really feel like whether you want to talk about it from a lens of you know, empowering others because something happened to you that you didn't feel like was, you know, was fair or you didn't feel what you were supported, whatever that looks like, you know, for folks from the lens of, you know, having had a traumatic experience, it also helps people to, to be able to hear your story and to learn from what, what happened and from learning what you learned from your experience. You know, it helps people who've had, you know, what they would call their ideal experiences to share those stories. I think that all stories are valid. All stories are important. And, and all stories are also a pathway to learning more about ourselves. And for many of us, it's a pathway to healing. And so even more so than people who've had, you know, experiences that they found to be, you know, um, really amazing. I think folks who share their stories that have had really challenging or painful experiences, it also is is a, a part of um, the process for them to heal. And so um, I see it as a really integral part of, of us, you know, as we move into um, motherhood. I love that idea of healing by, by telling your own story and owning it. Yeah. This is something that you mentioned as well about births that don't go as planned. The postpartum doula is there to help you with that emotional work. But if you don't have a person to guide you, what can a listener do that helps them recover from that experience? I um, always turn to and invite people to turn to is journaling to start because that writing and, and not everyone feels comfortable to write. And so the other invitation would be to like audio journal. So use your iPhone or if you have an Android and you talk yourself through, you know, like talk about like what it is that you're feeling, you know, how you're feeling today, what you're upset about, what wasn't fair, what was it like for me as a birthing person? What was it like for me as as a new mother? What was it like for me as a single mother? What was it like for me? And write it as if you're asking that question, like interview yourself around what your experience was. And let come up for you the emotion and the the fa- the feeling of, of being failed or let down or whatever those things are. It's not always that that's going to be right after you have a baby. You might not be ready to have that conversation. It might be six months. It might be a year. It might not be instant. But when you're ready, 
it's a powerful time for you to make space to let go. So finally, Latham, what is your best advice for someone in the first 24 hours of birth, of having given birth? Mm. I believe that, you know, all moms and all birthing people have this um, innate wisdom that they know and that they know what's best for themselves and, and for their babies. And I would, I would strongly suggest that you really continue to develop that instinct and that wisdom and trust it and trust yourself. If something doesn't feel right, it's not right. <laughs> and, and, and really trust yourself because there's so many voices. There's so many people with advice. There's so many people trying to tell you, you should do this or you should do that. Well-meaning, but only you know, and it's your body, it's your baby, and you've been living in this body this whole time and you really know best. And so if, if, if something doesn't seem, you know, right, um, please, please trust yourself and, and pick up the phone and call and, and get some help. If you're struggling with something, please don't feel like you have to know it all and, and do it all by yourself. Please ask for that help and, and get the, the support that you need. But, um, but really do listen, you know, because we all have this, this wisdom and we often throw it to the wayside to listen to experts or other people. And most of the time when we're kicking ourselves in the foot, it's because we didn't listen to ourselves. So listen to yourself and trust yourself. That is beautiful. Thank you so much, Latham, for taking the time to chat with us and our listeners and for being our first guest. Oh my God. Thank you. It was awesome. I appreciate y'all. So Desiree, I know you had triplets and then you had your baby, your newborn. Was the birth experience what you expected? To be honest, I would say I had two completely different birth experiences with the triplets. I had a traumatic birth experience. I hemorrhaged. I almost died. And there was a lot to process for me. And then with my daughter, Cambria, it was the perfect birth experience. And there was so much healing in that experience for me after what I went through with the triplets. What about you, Grace? I'm so glad you had that opportunity with Cambria. Um, For me, I did not read the C-section part of the book that I had, you know, (laughs) religiously read every night and dog-eared and, you know, made notes on. I skipped the C-section chapter because I thought, that is not happening to me. I am a woman who can advocate for herself. And lo and behold, I had a C-section <laughs> after about 18 or 19 hours of labor. The doctor came and told me that I needed to have a C-section and I cried and did it because what are my choices? I know. It was not what I expected at all, especially when I ended up with these uh, tree trunk legs after so much IV fluid being pumped into me. So hard. But then, you know, they hand you a baby and there you go. Yeah. Your mom, just like that. Exactly. And, you know, the funny thing is when they did hand me this baby, I thought, okay, let's just fall in love right here. And I just looked at her and I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to be feeling? I had so many questions. All I could think about was, wow, she's hairy. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my heart is beating so for this baby. No, I was just like, 
God, I did not know she would have this much hair and look at her back. And so um, did you experience that instant bond? With the triplets, it took a whole day before I even could meet them. So I feel like it. there was so much happening that I couldn't really soak in those moments. And with Cambria, again, totally different experience. I feel like I really was able to experience that with her. And it just goes to show like how different our births are. I mean, you can have one amazing one, one scary one, one that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. No, no two births are alike, right? With Cambria, what was that first day like? Oh gosh. I feel like I tried to soak in as much as I could, but there were so many, so many different feelings. Like you give birth to your baby and your stomach is nice and round and there's a bait firm, right? And then the baby comes <laughs> out and it's squishy and the, like your insides are in different places. <laughs> like there's a lot of different things happening. You know, I've never been more comfortable in a bikini than when I was pregnant. <laughs> I was like, this belly is supposed to be here. Exactly. Right. It's so true. I know there's, there's a lot of changes happening in that first 24 hours. What would you say like your strongest memory is from that? Well, you know, when I had my oldest, I was sharing this hospital room with this woman who just seemed to have her act together. She had the glossiest hair. Her newborn was just suckling at her boob. And meanwhile, I'm laying there. I can't barely move. I, I don't know how to breastfeed. So I sort of just laid there comparing myself to this woman who in February, winter in New York, said, yeah, I'm going to walk home, I think, with my newborn. <laughs> I think about her often. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Like you have that one memory of this woman who you don't know, who's probably not in your life anymore, but you, at the hospital, gosh. <laughs> I still think about her. Yeah. With my, with my little one, with my five-year-old, I just remember being so tired. You know, you have a toddler, then you have a baby. And I remember taking her to the nursery in the hospital and thinking like, all right, I'm going to be okay with just dropping this kid off. I've done this before. And I go in there and it was about 12 screaming babies. And I just turned around and said, let's go, kid. You're with me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I love it. <laughs> but you know what? I never documented any of these stories. And I'm just kicking myself because I'm a writer. I should have done that. And I think you just get so into being a mom and the day-to-day -day and that's such a busy life that you just move on. But I think there's so much power in doing that and I want to do that. Did you um, document? Yes. You know, for me, uh, with the triplets birth, I wrote about it, which was uh, such, a, like Latham said, a good healing for me. But I did not get pictures. So I was like, I have to, I have to birth Cambria's birth. And then the pandemic happened. And I ended up actually asking one of the nurses, I said, here's my camera. Please take as many pictures as, as you can. And I would say that to anyone out there who's feeling that. Just ask your nurse and say, please take some pictures for me. <laughs> Even if you don't think that you, you want them, it, you will look back and appreciate them. Yeah. And it's all part of the experience, right? You didn't have a professional photographer and that's okay. You have beautiful photos that were from this crazy time and, and a baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all for this episode of That New Mom Life, a podcast from Parents Magazine. To find out more, head to parents.com slash new mom podcast. Thanks to our production team, Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, and Sam Walker. I'm Desiree Fortin. And I'm Grace Bastidas. Hang in there, Mom. You're doing great. <laughs>